delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.tv, taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 503 of The Two Techies for Saturday, April 11th, 2020. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in Randonar or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. We come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinize and explore the world of tech. This week, the importance of quantum computing. Apple and Google become a force for the greater good. And Disney pick the perfect time to launch an online streaming service. You're very welcome to episode 503 and thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to tune in, to join the show. This is, of course, the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less has been for the last 10 and 10 years, four months, we'll say. 10 and then one third years we'll go for. Uh, But it's not the two techies, as Aaron named it this week. It's actually the two techos, as you referred to it in the show notes, Aaron. So thanks for that. Hey, we all make mistakes. We do. Some more than others. Okay, now that was, that was a joke. Happy Easter. You too, my friend. How's your uh, How's your indoor long weekend going? It's all right. It's fine. Hopefully get out on the bike at some point and, and enjoy what is glorious weather, actually. Um, cannot complain. It looks like there's going to be a really nice week of weather ahead, which I'm guessing you're not overly pleased about. You're not one for the sun, are you? Um. Yeah, you'd be correct. Yeah, you've known me long enough. That is exactly true. <laughs> to be fair, I don't hate... Uh, spring weather's quite nice. It's that perfect mix of it's it warm. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of minus three degrees, freezing, hail weather. I love that. Um, but that's because you're weather... weird. That's plain and simply because you're Oh, weird. yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Warm weather yeah, does it's... mean thunderstorms. It's like we've got a yellow warning for thunderstorms tonight, I think, which I'm down for. I love the English weather at the moment. Like, um, take Wednesday, for example, nought degrees with a high of 20 degrees. It's like we get all weathers in one day. Yeah. I've, uh, in unrelated news, I've uh, decided to take this long weekend and organize my photo library. I want to do, mm. you know, move it to an online service or, or make a copy on an online service. So I was like, you know what? I thought I had everything, you know, decent. I had a folder structure for everything. I thought everything was golden. And then I realized that obviously going back a number of years in my photos, that 13 year old me is the one doing the organization in like 2007, 8, and 9 and whatnot. And it's like, it's an absolute train wreck. And I hate my past self for it so it's a lot of fun because for some reason as a kid i decided instead of uh <laughs> so weird who, who organizes their photo library as a kid you know what i mean in- instead of like organizing anything by date i would just import into randomly named folders that mean absolutely <laughs> nothing yeah. so it's just like photos of everything it's sure, fun it's a good project yeah it's fun to go back and see some of the memories though just like absolutely it's the same with 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 digitizing old analog photos which is a task that still remains for myself and you, I, some have been done but but the majority still remain to be done and you look at the photos and I guess it gives you a chance to get them all in order but um, it's always fun to look back also I said last week on, on a similar note some sort of nature um, I discussed about backing up and the importance of it last week and hopefully anyone who joined us last week and joins us this week uh, 
has potentially made progress on that if they needed to or if they were smugly sitting with a smile on their face knowing fine rightly they didn't need to do any work well done but i discussed about one of the hard drives packing in or at least not booting up for any caddy or any hard- computer it was plugged into the results are in from the lab and turns out the hard drive has bad sectors and obviously because it wasn't powering up that would include the boot sector on the hard drive itself Luckily, was able to get a list of the data which the hard drive pertained, and I think I've made the decision it doesn't actually have anything on it that the other ones don't. So I guess that that's something to take away. It was all backed up. But it does remind both myself and anyone who's joining now that it doesn't matter how old an hard drive is or how young, more importantly, a hard drive is, still has the potential to catastrophically fail, or at least fail in some way, which makes it difficult to get the data back. Now, all of the data was recoverable. There was no major issues. It just wasn't necessary to recover cover it because as i say we had duplicates elsewhere wouldn't have been so great if we hadn't have had duplicates the, the file list was viewable or it wasn't and the data wasn't recoverable and that of course can happen as well so save yourself the pain just back it up to get it back simple as hard drives are such a fickle thing aren't they it's like the, i don't know if it's still true but there was always a saying that you know when you bought the new hard drive there was quite a high chance that high chance in air quotes that it would fail and it's like mm. if it makes it past 48 hours or something it's probably going to live for like eight years or something after that but uh i'd be interested to know kind of what the long-term failure rate of things like uh solid state drives are obviously no moving parts to potentially go wrong i was just about to say but I think, yeah, I think on, on the whole, in terms of reliability, they are more reliable because they don't have, what, actuator arms or any moving parts within it, but, uh, which means, you know, if you drop one, it's not going to have the same impact potentially, but I would say, I mean, not all SSDs are the same, they're not all made the same, electronics can still fail, um, and, and there is still data on them, so there's the potential for that to, to become corrupt as well. Um, it's not necessarily the hard drive completely packing in or, or failing, there's also the potential for the data on the hard drive to just become corrupted for numerous reasons. So you have to plan for all eventualities. Yeah, and obviously, yes. yeah, I, I would say I, I don't know the figures, don't have them in front of me, but I would say there is a, a correlation of SSDs being more reliable than HDDs. Who knows? Sorry, but, HDDs. And obviously, uh, SSDs have a finite read and write life compared to mm. uh, hard drives. But uh, with the ever decreasing cost of SSDs now, it just I think it makes sense to go that route. You know, you can go pick up uh, like a even those not I'm not even talking like the two and a half inch SSDs that you traditionally put in a caddy. You can go and buy like the sound Samsung T5 drives or I know SanDisk do one they're like tiny tiny little uh, you know like one two terabyte drives for, for pretty cheap now pretty rugged as yeah. well obviously very rugged as well I was actually looking at SSDs through the week just out of interest and potentially to change the, the bit drive on, on one of my main computers and Western Digital I think 16 gigabyte SSD it's just crazy isn't it 16 sorry gigabyte I said gigabyte didn't I terabyte 16 terabyte SSD and I mean it, it was I think three four hundred pounds but if you think about the cost of that five years ago I mean, one terabyte SSD was quite expensive back then. And you're seeing, and obviously these are built more for um, RAIDs setups and so on, but still crazy, crazy to think that we can get that much onto that little of a device obviously reliably with, as well. With a hard drive as well, with, uh, you know, you can get like 10, 12 terabyte hard drive now as well, but that's only a, a fairly recent thing. You, you're stuck with like data density and whatnot. You know, there is only so much density you can put into, um, you know, 
it like a, a a physical disc like that whereas with ssds it's like you know we're used to seeing them in like two and a half inch uh drives but imagine like a like a three and a half inch ssd like you must be able to pack many many terabytes in there funny you should say that i'm just looking at my phone right now as you talk the company which i sent the hard drive to for the analysis and so on have a really good infographic and i saved it for the purposes of discussing it on the show and then completely forgot about it now i've remembered thanks for the reminder Aaron. um the cost of data and it goes way back to the 1950s and <laughs> the first hard drive the world's first hard drive released by ibm in 19 yeah 1950 or around then contained 50 24 inch platters and it stored just five megabytes of data could not be purchased you you could not own this only lease and it cost 1940 pounds per month to lease it now think about what 1940 pounds was in 1950 and think about what five megabytes was it, 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 think about that it's roughly the size of your average wardrobe the size of a wardrobe for five megabytes at 1940 pounds per month it's like one of my favorite i think computing photos is that I, th- I think it's a photo of somewhere in cambridge and it's like ooh, probably in the 50s or 60s a, like a computer being loaded in like you know as if it was like you're bringing a massive bed frame in or something but a computer being loaded through the door and then it's like a photo from a couple years ago where a raspberry pi obviously i believe an invention from cambridge like they've taken the photo in exactly the same place and it's like this is 50 50 years of technological advancement it's just like i love photos like that i love stats like you know the ones you just read off and one it's just crazy to see how far we've come and bearing in mind like decent capacity hard drives weren't really a thing until you know probably two decades ago you know you were oh, still yeah. floundering around in the in the megabyte you know early macintoshes and early computers because you didn't need that much in reality you know you were you were dealing in text files at, at the very worst um graphics yep. you know were optimized for small storage you know often we're talking about the fact that like a web page today probably takes more to download than hard drives had in capacity just 30 or 40 years ago it's nuts um, i don't know if that speaks volumes about how bad the web is today or you know how small hard drives were back then but, and i um, guess you say that in in the development and that's why technology is so so cool because the the, the growth of the technology whilst at 1950 you could purchase well no not purchase rent a five megabyte hard drive which is the size of a wardrobe that, that, that cost 1940 pounds a month there really wasn't a demand for anything more because as you rightly said people weren't creating files what did anyone need a five megabyte hard drive for in 1950 apart from businesses or you know so on someone a personal a person and there was no use what, what computer were you using to you know you weren't taking photos in your digital camera to store them and so it is supply and demand and demand and supply and for so long the demand wasn't there because the technology wasn't there you also said back you know three four decades ago we were taking photos and analog picture cameras with film we weren't storing them on a computer so we didn't need storage capacity on a computer so on so forth but as the demand's grown as the technology's come around it's all developed alongside each other even if you go to 1982 one gigabyte of data for in terms of a storage platform cost two hundred and sixty thousand dollars two hundred sixty thousand dollars in 1982 for a gigabyte in the 1980s ibm released the 3380 model it stored 2.52 gigabytes cost forty nine thousand pounds take inflation into the account of that it would be one thousand or one hundred sixty thousand in today's money which works out about sixty three thousand pounds per gigabyte apple is still that was good i was gonna say apple is still clearly using those prices when you uh go to upgrade <laughs> do a build to 
Toyota. Fair enough. Uh, the first five and a quarter inch drive released in 1980. It was designed with... Uh, the home user in mind this was by seagate it stored five megs of data and cost 1800 pounds uh, which is just shy of six thousand today's money works out today at no more than one million pounds per gigabyte of storage um, and then the 1990s and beyond that's when the the cost of storing data began to fall significantly by 1995 the average cost for gigabyte was 550 pounds fell to six pounds in 2000 so within five years the cost fell dramatically and before that it, it obviously fell even even more dramatically 45p in 2005 today a gigabyte of storage costs probably around 0.015 pence on average this means a terabyte of storage costs 15 pounds today compared to 63 million pounds in 1980 isn't that crazy it does not just really if you think about any technology and the growth and the development isn't it crazy to think of how exponentially certain areas of technology have developed and grown in such a short space of time when you think about the scale of things for sure and that's an interesting segue into what we're talking about today on the show quantum computing whether it's you know the stage we're at with it what it means for the future we kind of can't predict that right now because if you had have said 1980 well you'll be able to buy a 16 terabyte hard drive for a reasonable amount of money that just wouldn't have computed no pun intended so crazy to think and makes you realize how far we've came and how far we have to go as well technology we'll discuss that after the quick news before we go to the quick news 503 is a prime number it's a safe number it's the sum of three consecutive primes it's the sum of the cubes of the first four primes it's a shen prime and einstein prime with no imaginary part but in terms of technology it is the proposed HTTP status code indicating a gateway timeout and the SMTP status code meaning a bad sequence of commands. I was going to ask you if you knew what it was in terms of HTTP status code, Aaron, but I think I'm going to ask you this one instead. Where is it the country calling code for? You've got Ooh. this. You've 100% got it. Do you um, need the, the the dramatic countdown music to allow you to think about this? New Zealand. Mm, El Salvador. Not even close. Not even close. We'll go to the quick news. If you've been looking for a free TV streaming service to fill up those long days and weekends, look no further. Roku has now launched a free ad-supported TV platform in the UK. The Roku channel isn't a new enterprise, having first launched in the US way back in 2017. The service aggregates free content from a variety of sources and publishes into the simple and easy-to-navigate Roku OS giving those hankering after free TV a handy place to browse all sorts of films, TV shows, documentaries, and the like. You'll find around 10,000 TV episodes and films available to stream on demand. They include home renovation shows, cooking shows, kids' TV shows, family programming, true crime, and plenty more besides. Fiat Chrysler is recalling more than 365,000 vehicles in North America after discovering that the video feed from their backup cameras can sometimes stay on for more than 10 seconds after the driver shifts out of reverse. The company says it's unaware of any injuries or crashes related to the issue. Vehicles included in the recall are the 2019 and 2020 Ram pickup trucks, Chrysler Pacifica minivan, Dodge Durango Jeep, Grand Cherokee, Jeep Wrangler and Jeep Renegade uh, with either the 8.4 inch or 12 inch dashboard screens. It also includes the 2019 Dodge Challenger and the 2020 Jeep Gladiator and Jeep Cherokee. Owners will be notified by Fiat Chrysler starting this month and the company says a fix will be available as both an over-the-air update or at dealerships. The pandemic is even affecting Emoji. The Unicode Consortium, the group behind Emoji, releases announced this week that it's delaying its version planned for 2021. 
meaning that devices won't receive any new emoji next year and instead will get a release in 2022. The good news is that the emoji that were announced earlier this year, like the olive, beaver, and plunger, will still be available this autumn. Unicode says the delay is happening because it relies on volunteers who are currently overwhelmed dealing with the pandemic. This means the deadline for submitting new emoji is also pushed back. People can submit their ideas from June 15th until September the 1st. Again, though those won't show up until devices unlikely until 2022. The group says it's trying to determine whether it could release some emoji earlier than that if they are sequenced or emoji created from a combination of two other emoji, thereby not requiring the encoding of new characters. And finally, Google is hoping to end low-quality video calls by deploying artificial intelligence to fill in audio gaps caused by bad connections. WaveNet EQ works by using a library of speech to realistically continue short segments of conversations. The AI is trained to produce mostly syllable sounds and can fill gaps of up to 120 milliseconds. It comes as the use of video calls has become increasingly important during the coronavirus crisis. When making a call over the internet, data is split into small chunks called packets. Per connection can mean these packets reach the other party in either the wrong order and or at the wrong time or cause them to be lost entirely. This can result in a significantly de- or significant decline sorry, in call quality. Google says 99% of calls made using its Duo app experience some form of audio-related issue. Of these calls, 20% lose more than 3% of their total audio, while 10% lose almost a tenth. WaveNet HQ works by specifically creating speech data to fill the gaps made by these drops in audio. I've seen a lot of complaints this week about this new Roku online streaming service in the UK, which is free. People are saying, oh, adverts, we have to watch adverts. Adverts, we have to watch adverts. It's, it's free. What are you complaining about? If at 10,000 titles, you're getting them for free. Okay, Roku need to get something back, surely. No? I- we find a reason and a way to complain about everything, don't forget. Even when it's handed to us on a silver platter. Mm, I kind of want to check it out, actually. I, guess- I didn't really, didn't know it was coming. I don't know if anyone did, but it just sort of turns up. I know yeah. I know we can get Roku players in the UK, I think. Um, but it's always been able to do, you know, kind of the same things that uh, Apple TV and whatnot can do. You know, Netflix, YouTube, that type of thing. Um, mm. But we've never had any of the original, well, the own brand uh, streaming services until now. I assume it's something that you don't have to have a Roku player. I I don't know. It doesn't kind of make that clear. Um, it'll be interesting to you. I guess you can get it online. I, I don't know if there's an app on the Apple TV or anything. Most of all, it's free. So stop complaining. Fit, um, 365,000 vehicles, backup camera issue. I don't see how having the backup camera stay on for a longer period of time would cause crashes or injuries. Surely it'd be the other way around if it cut off early now. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand the logic there, but I guess there's there's something about it. But nonetheless, it, it shouldn't be happening. I just don't see the idea there. Did you realize emoji was a plural? Plural, pluralized noun. What do you mean? Wait, uh, it's not emojis. You don't, it's emoji. Yeah, you don't say emojis, do you? Well, I've never, I've never actually said emojis in a plural sense anyway. I've never referred to emoji as a plural word. So, I, but I'm only realizing, as you said, emoji about thirty times through the one story. That oh, wait a minute. You can tell, uh, you can tell news is slow with the uh, stories we've had to uh, <laughs> cobble together for the 
the quick news because any good stories had to go in the main show. So we're talking about well, emoji. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting how they actually. You you would think emoji 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 are less complex than that, but no, they have a very big, very structured sequence of events to to get them released. I guess it makes sense. And clearly, because of the fact that a lot of it's volunteer work, that's not going to happen. Fair enough. But emoji, it's a plural. Hmm, interesting. Didn't realize that. I guess it's a well. Of course, it is. Moment. I'll but... have you know, it's a mojai. Right. Well, Cactus. When did you swallow the, the dictionary? Cacti. Cactus. <laughs> it's a mojus and a mojai. <laughs> mojus. <laughs> Brilliant. I prefer that. We'll go with the two techos and emojis. I like it, Aaron. You're you're onto something here. What did you do in your downtime during lockdown? <laughs> well, I invented a, a new syllabus and a new language. That's what I do. I invent words. <laughs> and Google with AI to enhance video call audio. I would love to see this in action. I really would. Because for the last 10 and a half years, we really have struggled with VoIP and it really hasn't. We talk about how exponentially technology has came on. It's one thing that hasn't. Voice over internet protocol. It is rubbish. It's- most of the time it doesn't do what it should do in the way it should do it with the technology it's running on the the, the bandwidth and the capacity to host and hold it is there it just doesn't use it properly it's crazy isn't it it's like uh, you go back to when we started if there's one thing you would have asked us what do you think will improve i think we would have given you a list but like that one thing i think we mm. probably both would have said is the voip technology would improve and it's gotten slightly better i think but it's just like oh yeah there's something the connection is still terrible there's still delays like just we've tried so many over the years you know we've bounced around from skype to hangouts to like we even tried a couple of random online ones at some point like other online ones at some point and it's just none they all have pitfalls none of them seem that good um just can't believe such a simple technology hasn't gotten seemingly much or any better it's crazy yeah i wonder if it will be one of those things where it it, it spikes like like hard drives it stays at the same level for what 1950 to we'll go 1990 for 40 years and then all of a sudden we see really quick developments maybe that maybe we're, we've waited another 20 30 years iron before it becomes a thing i'd hope so but we'd perfected the art of phone calls like 50 years ago so this this voice thing must be that difficult did we really though have you heard the quality of a phone that call? that's true that's very true quantum computing is it something which we need to pay more attention to and this came to my attention this week given the fact that it's actually very different to coronavirus and um, but also, the post online which I read about a teenager who is enrolled, thanks to his parents, in a sort of a an additional schooling system online. It's a part-time school for teenagers, believe it's online, it gives them the chance to learn what they don't at traditional school. And I'm talking about technology-related content. It's a 15-year-old, clearly a kid with his head screwed on. He says, in my regular school, we don't talk about cryptography or quantum computing. It's not in the curriculum. So for years, I had to find time to learn that on my own by myself. He's enrolled in the inaugural New York cohort of the Knowledge of Societies program. It's declared as one of the schools of the future by the World Economic Forum Think Tank. It offers education and training for 13 to 17 year olds interested in artificial intelligence and other niche technology subjects rarely, if ever, taught by mainstream schools. This has been a problem in the United Kingdom for a long time. The ICT curriculum has just been blatantly wrong, incorrect, not fit for purpose. And the UK has lagged behind the United States for so long on this that we still have a long way to catch up. I am aware that it has improved, even from from when you and I sort of were under such programs, but we still have a long way to go. And and, and computer science and, and computing is just not taught to the same standard level 
or importance in the UK as what it would be in other parts of the world. Fact. I was going to say, I mean, excuse me, is... And we're being disadvantaged by that. Is is Microsoft front page not good enough for you? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. that's exactly my point. Honestly, the uh, I'm 100% with you. The In this country, the ICT information computing technology? Communication. That's it. Um, I did think it'd be weird that computing would be <laughs> in there at 5 They didn't even thons. teach you what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Day one, kids. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. um you're right so far behind we've spoken about this so many times on the shows over the year years um i remember when i was in school i had so many like ict was the one thing that i should have done well at and it was like probably one of the worst things because you just ran out of effort it's like i had no interest in learning how to use publisher for like five mm. years um they a lot of the teachers admitted you know I, I appreciate teachers are you know stretched pretty thin these days um they often have a, have to wear lots of of hats and the IT teachers I, I always had were not IT people. They were, you know, a history teacher, a maths teacher, you know, very skilled in their field, but not IT teachers. Um, it wasn't until I got to college that you actually got someone who actually knew what they were talking about. And even then, we were still learning Visual Basic or, you know, Microsoft Access to do databases. And I appreciate that they're, 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 they're okay for teaching concepts. They're just not real world examples, which is something that I think IT in schools, when we we were there obviously don't know what it mm. you know we're talking like 10 years ago now 12 years ago don't know uh don't know what it's like now but there are there's so much available to kids these days uh to schools these days you know there are so many programs out there there are so many online you know you take like skillshare and whatnot for example there are so many ways of learning stuff of teaching things the information is just there um which is something i think is something that was only just starting to come around when 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 we were there and it's just the curriculum is still so far behind you know kids are entering school you know doing these it programs and they already know all this stuff like they've grown up yeah. with it but what are we going to do teach them how to use word is you know like they're already using you know google docs and they've got a workflow down it's like these kids are so young these days it's just the things i don't know what we should be teaching them i don't know if it's quantum computing or what it is but it's like <laughs> it's not what it currently exactly. is. exactly kids yeah. i don't think kids necessarily need real world ict if that makes sense like kids figured this out that you know they've already figured out they're already you know they've got a smartphone they've got everything um by the time they get into or most kids you know i, I appreciate there is a still a, a tech diversity um in the population but um or an economic divide slightly but um you know i i again i don't know i don't think it should turn into computer science this, this is not what i'm saying but you know if, if we're gonna encourage kids you know girls boys whatever we want more young people involved in engineering involved in IT, involved in, you know, building the next Facebook, whatever it is. How do you do that? Well, you know, teach them a little bit of programming, you know, just a little bit of Python or, you know, like create a game or do something fun. So many resources. You look at what the Raspberry Pi has done and things like that. It's like, give these kids, you know, a taste of what it could be. May not be for them, but you never know. You might find the next Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. Mm. Absolutely. It's, 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 if you're not given the chance, you'll never be able able to even try to to demonstrate your capacity and your potential and i you know we're talking about what it is and what it could be and i think it's a case of start younger and start start at the basics still yes okay teach about word and publisher and so on and so forth whatever it's important to know how to, to mail merge a document down right but do not do that at the stage at which a teenager should be learning about something far more complex it's almost like going to secondary school and or going to high school or whatever the terminology is and saying well we're going to learn the three times tables today no because that was done many years ago because that was the groundwork 
don't do the groundwork when you should be doing the more intense and, and technical work. And I, I think it's also a lack of understanding by those who write the curriculum, and that's fair enough, because if they don't understand it, how are they meant to write a, a curriculum and a program about it? That's also the problem. And I think it's it's concerning by seeing the response, not just in the United Kingdom, but also by by those who are in charge. So programs are currently offered in cities across North America, including Boston, Seattle, Los Angeles, and Toronto. These come at a cost. This program, this 10-month program, is not cheap. It costs between 5000 and 8500 thousand dollars for the 2020 21 academic year depending on which city it's held in and and this is the problem it, it's an opt-in it's not exactly you know you, you are doing this and the director of education and skills at the conference board of canada says that he is not sure that this should be so deeply ingrained in the curriculum he says we run the risk of teaching young people to use technology that may be obsolete by the time they enter the workforce right okay but tell me this how often do you really use the meal merge function in microsoft word that you could you could use that excuse for anything pythagoras's theorem haven't really used that very often i mean i'm sure i might in life you know and, and but, but certain certain things that are taught will be used by by certain people and other people will never touch them again and vice versa it's not about well you might not need it It because that could be applied to any part of a schooling curriculum you might not need any of it you might need all of it you might need some at certain parts and some it's just i think we're negating the, the point because i think a lot of people are scared of it because they don't understand it and that's that's quite eye-opening he says we run the risk of teaching young people to use technology that may be obsolete by the time they enter the workforce adding that human skills such as communicating and building relationships are more more durable and transferable and the demand for those skills may not be as high as people expect, he argues. He says, how many people actually need to know how to code or program blockchain, for example? Now, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me, and I'm not one to predict the future, and I, I, I'm no more qualified than anyone else to say it, but how, how does anyone know what will or will not be needed in the future? Maybe it's just an educated guess, but the technology we're using today to enhance our lives may necessarily develop into something more in years to come? No? I think he's 100% correct when he says things like human connection and relationships are like you know one of the most important things these days but it's like yeah last time i checked schools don't teach that either so no, they don't. bearing in mind <laughs> uh, schools are always going to struggle on this schools don't want to stray too far from the norm um, partially because you know schools are entirely judged on or over here at least how many kids leave the school with an a to c in maths and english and science like yeah. the three core subjects that's why there's such a heavy focus on it that's why all the teachers are math science or english teachers everything else to a school i think is secondary i don't know about you with your school i never felt like they took history or geography or you know any of the physical things or engineering i never felt like it was taken that seriously it always felt like a, a second class citizen to maths english and science uh, i guess no i i would disagree in a way no i and again different skills different experiences and so on but i i wouldn't say that what i would feel is that the, the likes of ict for example was certainly a a poor relation to everything else but that was because the curriculum wasn't there it wasn't so much the school's fault it was more the the greater picture of, of what they have the, the 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 resources they have and what they're allocated and what they're given to work with is is really the problem at hand here it's not so much an in individual school well, issue it's more what we're doing as a, gl a global population on the that's matter. what i'm saying if you, if you asked if you asked anyone in the street forget school for one second if you went out and asked anyone in the street what's quantum quantum computing half would not have a notion and that's not that's not their fault it's just because it's not something that's over it's it's oh well that's very futuristic yeah that's that's sci-fi film that's star wars that's that's really no i i don't know and and that's the thing right now it is the future and it's very high tech and it's you know
know, all out there. And people probably think, well, it's never going to affect me. But that's the problem, because it will at some point affect people. It will be a thing. It will be an essential part of life, because we'll be dealing with amounts of data and information that require such processing power and, and processing ailments that it will be relevant. I mean, that's basically what I was saying. It's like it's um, the schools are between a rock and a hard place. It's not the school's fault. It's just because, like I say, they're entirely judged on their like three core subjects. Um, the curriculum nationally within schools, you know, whatever, just doesn't exist for. We look at it from an IT perspective, but I bet if you were into history or into geography, uh, you know, I bet anyone could, could pull each of those sectors apart as well. Schools just don't do a great job, but I think uh, not creating well-rounded people. That's not, not what I want to say. It's, um, they don't do an amazing job of, I think, allowing people to explore all of the options. Um, you know, there, there is a path that I think a lot of schools see in ICT is just not part of that which is funny because like the entire world runs on and now every job has an ICT you know relation in some way science ICT maths ICT English I guess the issue of it may not be relevant in four or five years that that's also true I I guess you can't avoid that in that the exponential technology will grow exponentially that's goes without saying so it's I there is a risk of teaching something too in-depth and too detailed that it becomes not relevant and I I guess that that's a point to take on board and it's it's one that you have to give some sort of substance and credit to but the same time i don't think it negates teaching it at all so there's a happy medium i don't think we're at either side of it yet but it's nice to see that there are at least some people glued in and think well actually i need to prepare myself for the the technology and of course it's relevant if someone doesn't want to go down that route in life well that's fair enough but the whole point is to educate yourself to get a comprehensive view of everything to avail you the opportunities you want to, to avail of and it means you're not closing doors so I certainly think there's work to be done. I don't think the answer is a full curriculum based around it right away and pushing it and forcing it on top of people because some people won't have the interest, they won't do it, they won't want to do it, and thus they won't do well at it. But I certainly think it should be offered. There should be the opportunity. It shouldn't just be decided by a bunch of people who don't understand it and don't feel it should be in the curriculum because they don't understand it. There's a big difference. We're just not there yet. But quantum computing in general, I don't think we're there yet. As a population, as as as, as a as a thing, it, it's not where it will be. And I, I, I don't know where it will be. You don't know where it will be, Aaron. It's one of those things. It will be something that we just don't know yet. And that's almost the beauty of technology because it's like we said at the start of the show. How much did so little cost in terms of storage 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. How much does that cost now? Did we ever think we would get to that point? No, because you didn't think you would need it. You know, you didn't need a terabyte of data 20, 30 years ago. You don't need a quantum computer now. We don't anyway. We may not need a quantum computer ourselves, but the technologies we will use may need such technology to run, to process. And that's the part, what will we need? Not do what do we need? And it's, it's important to sort of maintain that futuristic approach so that we don't get lagged behind. Apple and Google this week have announced the system for tracking the spread of the new coronavirus, allowing users to share data through Bluetooth, low energy, BLE transmissions, and approved apps from health organizations. This is an example, Aaron, of two competitors, two com- competitive technology companies coming together for the greater good, putting their differences aside and saying, we have an issue, we can help, let's do it. Fantastic. Honestly, any time in the past, I think 12, 18, 24, five years, if you would have said to anyone in the tech industry that Google and Apple were going to work side by side on something we all would have laughed mm. especially the first thing that the first thing that came to me here when i read this was privacy i thought oh dear here we go Want to share information with people and where we've been and who we've seen that just sounds like a complete disaster but no they've, they've managed to work around it pretty quickly actually pretty smart i mean i was exactly the same when i read it it's like uh oh here we go i mean as much as i think we all have this dis- 
trust for Google. I think Apple and Google are probably the two companies you would expect to do something, you know, in the best possible way. I've seen lots of stories coming out this week that like Facebook, uh, you know, wanting people to, you know, track their symptoms and their location and whatnot. And it's like, lol, no. Um, but, you know, a company that builds up trust over a number of years, Apple and Google, um, it's a completely different idea. It's an interesting concept, this. Um, something that's not going to be available for another month or two, I don't believe. Um, but to see Android and iOS kind of like ignore the boundaries and work in unison is absolutely fascinating. For anyone who doesn't know, um, the new system uh, laid out in a series of documents and white papers would use short-range Bluetooth communications to establish a voluntary contact tracing network, keeping extensive data ex- yeah, keeping extensive data on phones that have been in close proximity with each other. Official apps and public health authorities will get access to this data, and users who download them can report if they've been diagnosed with COVID-19. The system will also alert people who download them to whether they were in close contact with an infected person. Apple and Google will introduce a pair of iOS and Android APIs in mid-May and make sure these health authority apps can implement them. During this phase, users will still have to download an app to participate in contact tracing, which could limit adoption. But in the months after the API is complete, the companies will work on building tracing functionality into the underlying OS. S is an option immediately available to everyone with an iOS or Android phone. This is actually a genius way of doing it because one of the whole things with this uh, coronavirus is if you get infected, they need to know who you've been in contact with. Um, yeah. And if there's a way where you you, you contract it, let's say, um, and then it, you know it gets marked in your public health record, and then your phone goes, "Oh, I know who I've been in contact with in the past, you know, five days," or the phones I've been near it can you know voluntarily let everyone know i think it's an absolutely fascinating idea great use of technology it goes back to something similar we were talking about a week or two ago uh we were talking about how, the advantage that apple would have when it comes to that whole tile thing you know they have they have a network of iphones that could talk to each other well this is a similar thing but on an even bigger scale you know introducing android and ios dropping the uh, limitation and talking to each other i absolutely love it so essentially as you said it's an api mid-may is what they're saying and it really is an ingenious way of doing it. As you said, it's a privacy-centric method, which I think was mostly important because <laughs> anyone who has an iOS or Android device, well, I think that really just about cups everyone in the population. And it's interesting because this is something that we we may need to get used to or it may just be a one-off use sort of thing whereby, thankfully, this won't happen again. Hopefully, you know, I'm not saying it won't, but, you know, that, that would be the hope. But if this does become the next thing that we as a population really need to be very cautious and careful of, then such technologies may go a long way in helping. And the problem right now with COVID is we're so ill-prepared for it. And and that's the issue in one respect. You know, we, in many aspects, the health service weren't prepared at no fault of their own. The funding wasn't there. You know, the capacity wasn't there. And that's, that's no one's fault in some respects because, you know, you don't just have random number of thousands of hospital beds sitting just in case the world needs, you know, an epileptic response. It wasn't a thing. But at the same time, we as humans weren't prepared either because you're told, oh, don't go out anywhere. Don't don't socialize, you know, in parks and public places and don't do this and don't do that. And what do people do? They do the exact opposite of what they're asked because they're not prepared. They don't understand. And none of us did at the start. I don't think it's only when the severity becomes more, the severity becomes more severe, really, that, that you sort of open your eyes and go, right, okay, makes sense. So as a whole, this is the first time as a, a population we've ever went through something like this. Hopefully it's the last, but doesn't, you know, hoping it's the last does not give you an excuse not to prepare for 
potentially what could be something again. And so Bill Gates said it, and I think really I, I had a lot of admiration and respect for Bill Gates before any of this happened, and just out of the fact of how smart and intelligent of a man he was when it came to Microsoft. And <laughs> he's just completely pioneering another area of the world. Um, it's crazy. So seeing these two big tech giants who are probably the best equipped to do something like this in every shape and form is crazy. And the fact that physical location doesn't come into it, it's just signals of phones. Um, it's not, you know, there's, there's nothing potentially dangerous in terms of data being misused. Hence the uh, the obvious choice of Bluetooth LE over something like GPS. Um, GPS would work very much the same, but obviously, as you say, it would give away a, a precise location. I'd be interested to see how this or, or what this could be used for in the future. You know, once we're past all this, mm. is is there anything beyond this? Obviously, I, I appreciate people will have privacy concerns, and rightfully so. I think uh, some some yeah. companies have have shown that we can't have these nice things. Um, I genuinely think Apple and Google are doing this for the right reasons. Um, I genuinely don't think it's like a, any nefarious reason behind it. I just can't see why either of those companies would have an interest in doing that. Um, mm. Yeah, it just seems like a. I think that the technology world, I, I guess, has kind of hit that limit where obviously they can't come up with a cure at this point. Like, you know, you leave that to the medical professionals, don't you? So they're trying to do the, the next best thing. And for something that's like a viral pandemic, you know, that spreads through contact of people, then using something that, you know, millions or billions of people have in their pockets to uh, to aid, you know, aid public health authorities and whatnot just seems like a, the next best thing tech could do. There are still the weaknesses, you know, in crowded areas, people could be flagged or, you know, if they're in adjacent rooms, they haven't actually shared any space. And that could mean an unnecessary worry, but it's better to worry a little bit more than a little bit less. Um, because also not capture the nuance of how long someone was exposed for working next to an infected person all day, for example, will expose you to a much greater virus load than by walking next to them on the street for two minutes. So there are potential downfalls and pitfalls, but every single technology which could potentially do something like this will have those downfalls and pitfalls. And it's just a case of working with the best out of not a bad bunch, but essentially that. It's a new program. Google and Apple are still talking to the public health authorities and other stakeholders about how to run it. Probably can't you know replace other methods either, but you know it's offering a high-tech supplement using device that billions of people already own, and that in itself is nefariously powerful. It's it's crazy powerful, and hopefully it will it will will do something in helping stop the spread of this really awful virus and help us get back to some sort of normality as soon as possible, and inevitably reduce the number of those who die from this, which is really what the end goal is. Not related, but Disney chose a really good time to release Disney Plus. I think they've had, and all streaming services have had an influx of signups over the last month, maybe, when those are having to stay in for longer. Um, Disney's video streaming service has reached more than 50 million subscribers since its launch five months ago. They last announced the viewing figures in February. They had 26.5 million subscribers. Since then, it's almost doubled as more people are online and stuck at home due to the virus clampdown. Disney Plus rivals Netflix, Amazon Prime. It rolled out to the UK and other parts of Europe last month. All three streaming platforms are enjoying a huge boost in viewing figures as cinemas remain closed and people are forced to stay indoors. So they had a target of 60 to 90 million subscribers by the end of fiscal 2024. That was when it was first launched in the US in November. We're truly humbled that Disney Plus is resonating with millions around the globe, says Kevin Mayer, Disney spokesman. And that's what effect lockdowns and stay-at-home restrictions are having on the subscription numbers. Disney refused to comment. They say with movie theatres closed across many key international markets, streaming has become instantly a go-to source for quality in-home entertainment. And these services will continue to benefit with a boost of subscribers for a significant time to come as many or as many consumers alter their habits. 
this was bound to happen, really, wasn't it? I mean, 50 million. I am one of the 50 million, but 50 million is a lot, considering the service only launched back end of last year and only launched in the UK like four weeks ago or something. Um, I would actually, I mean, we'll never know, but I'd be very interested to see if those numbers would be even remotely the same had any of this coronavirus stuff not happened. Um, I would also love to see what this is going to do on the subscriber number graphs that uh, services like Netflix that have obviously been going for a little bit longer uh, have been keeping. Is it going to be a spike? Is there a spike at all? I don't know. Is it just more people that already had it are using it? Are people are more people signing up? I would assume so. Um, Absolutely. About 50 million people. I mean, Disney have a huge draw. Obviously, Disney have an immense back catalogue of original works. They've acquired so much, things like Marvel over the years, um, that there is a huge draw to signing up for Disney Plus. One of the reasons I did, you know, they've got original shows like uh, The Mandalorian, which is which is great. Absolutely loving that at the moment. Um, and we've, I think, oh God, it's like a year, two years ago, we, we, we were speaking about how, you know, so much of Disney stuff was getting pulled off of Netflix. And, you know, I think we were pretty... <laughs> Wonder why that was. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty against, I think, Disney Plus. We were like, oh, another streaming service. And I'm still for that, you know, yeah. yet another thing we have to yeah. pay a monthly subscription for. <laughs> you're you're still for it, but you've paid it. Oh, exactly. But what does that say? Isn't that me in a nutshell? I hate something. I hate something. I hate <laughs> yeah, something. Oh, I bought yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've done that with so many. Realistically, let's be honest. The only reason you bought Disney Plus is to watch all your favorite movies: Aladdin, Cinderella. Um, Don't you knock Alpine. Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> or Frozen. I love Frozen. Yeah. Frozen's actually a great Absolute. movie. There we go. Yeah, you're you're joking, right? No, Frozen's a great movie. Um, no, I've got it on DVD. Okay. Um, hmm. but uh, I'll reserve comment. You know, I I like watching all the. They've got a load of like Pixar shorts on there that are really good. Um, uh, if you if you have family with kids and whatnot, obviously Disney Plus is like a you know pretty much way more sense than the Netflix. I think that's where they're going to lose out slightly just due to original kids programming. But well, I think that yeah, and also some people. People are just trying to trace back nostalgia from when they were a kid and watching Disney productions as well. So they kind of have a, a double blow here, and that's a win-win for them. I mean, you forget how long Disney have been around. They have a section on there called like mm. Disney through the years, and it's like you can watch their 1920 stuff, like 1920s and wow. 1930s. It's like blimey, it's just like so much stuff on there just because they've been around forever. Um, but yeah, I like the platform. It's good. I'm glad to see it doing well. It's hardly a surprise given the current climate that subscription services are booming. Um, um, but yeah, I, I love that. 60 to 90 million by the end of 2024. <laughs> it's like, well, you're they're, most, they're gonna you're most of the way there already. I mean, in 12 months, is it more than 50 million? Is it less than 50 million? You know, when this is all died down, how, how does it pan out? Yeah, what will that look like? You know, people are people are stuck at home. They're like, people are completing Netflix, I imagine, at this rate. Like, there's nothing <laughs> else to stay subscribed for. It's okay. They can now move on to the 502 prior episodes of this show. Exactly. Genius. I'll tell you what, I did start going through The Simpsons, and it's like there are there's like 30 seasons, I think, of The Simpsons to go through, and it's like, <laughs> blimey, this is going to take a while. What, on Disney Plus? Yeah. <laughs> Disney own all of this. That's what I'm saying. There's so many little surprises in there. It's like, I forgot Disney bought them. The Simpsons mm. obviously being one of them. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. No, I, look, it, it's kind of one of those things, and, and I don't think Disney are trying to capitalize and monopolize on this, What what's going on. Um, It's just a case that they launched, you know, in the UK, what, five months ago, and that timing was perfect for them and um it's it's interesting. I mean, I think there's still room for all of the streaming services at the minute, but the problem is the more that come out, I, I mean, could 
could other services now come around? We've got Roku, we've Netflix, we've Amazon Prime, we now have Disney Plus. What else? You know, Apple TV. What, what else? Apple TV Plus. Sorry. What else can I, you know really? I mean, all of a sudden, and I hate to say it, we're just backing around to paying stupid money for for all of them or cable. It's and, and that's the problem. Streaming at one point when there was this one, and I, I know it was a monopoly at one point when when quote Netflix had it, but at that point everything was on Netflix, and you paid for Netflix, you streamed it, and then you had you know you either had your cable with Netflix or you didn't have your cable with Netflix. But now it's a case of well, I have Disney Plus, which doesn't have this, so I have to have Netflix for that. But Netflix and Disney Plus don't have this, so I have to have Amazon Prime for that. But the three of those don't have this program, which Apple TV Plus has. But I, my favorite ones on Roku, and and neither Apple TV Plus or Amazon Prime or Hulu or Roku or Disney Plus or Netflix have it, so I have to pay for that. And oh, but you know what? My favorite sports series still on my cable TV, so I'm paying for that too. So all of a sudden, completely undone the work that was done before. It's just you're paying for everything, which that's fine if people want to do that. But I think it's a, a bit of a, a 360 on the whole thing that happened prior, you know, about cable cutting and so on. It hasn't had the same effect that people would have thought. Maybe the opposite, because every single studio or every single company's kind of seeing that weakness in the market and saying, well, we could put our programs on there and monopolize and monetize off those rather than giving them to Netflix and just taking royalties. Clearly what Disney did. I think you're right. I think we have slowly or pretty much hit that streaming saturation point where it's like people aren't going to subscribe to all of them. I mean, I think we are at the moment, but it's like Prime because, you know, delivery. Then Apple TV Plus because it's free if you buy a new uh, Apple product. Um, TV Plus is probably the one I could live without. Um, I quite liked a lot of the original programming, but it's just not frequent enough. Although some of their original movies are really good. Um, obviously Netflix is Netflix. Netflix is like the one that seems just everyone will stay subscribed to, I think. But you know, you've got others like YouTube yeah. Premium as well. Um, as you say, Hulu. Um, you can subscribe to things like Twitch and you can subscribe to YouTube channels. Uh, there's like there's so much you can buy a monthly subscription to now. I, uh, I truly do think we have had the... Uh, we have hit that saturation point where I think people are going to get tired of paying a little for a lot. Absolutely, a little for a lot. That's That leaves you with some closing views. Coming next, it's uh, the Two Tacos Plus from MunchTac. You can get all of your favourite... Okay, no, never mind. Thank you for joining us on episode 503. You can listen to more episodes, as we say, munchtech.tv. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile. Our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. For the ultimate guide to podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide. And... Uh, podcastassist.com and finally our interview with Steve Wozniak the co-founder of Apple computing pioneer and engineering genius munchtech.tv forward slash was that does it for episode 503 thank you so much for listening taking the time to join us join us next week same time same place until then stay safe stay sensible and we'll see you then bye bye